good evening. This is Patrick Donahue. We appreciate you listening every week at this same time to Bible Crossfire. Of course, on Bible Crossfire, we allow people to call in, ask Bible questions. That's the point of the program. We give, actually, the callers priority. I'm pretty sure this program would be pretty boring if it was just me lecturing. So that's why we let the callers have the priority, and I think that's what keeps the program interesting. I want it to be interesting for you, but more important than that, I want it to be faithful to God's Word. In other words, when we give a Bible answer to your Bible question, we want it to be exactly what the Bible teaches, because the Bible is right. Pat Donahue can be wrong, but the Bible being God's Word is right. I want you to check me. Be like the Bereans in Acts 17, verse 11. Search the Scriptures search the scriptures to see if what I'm saying is so. And if they're not, just let it go through one ear and out the other. Don't pay any attention to it. But if I'm proving what I say by the Bible, since that is the standard, the standard of set forth by God, then we have to accept it if that's what the Bible teaches. We don't have any option about that. Oh, I guess I just lost Jerry. Hmm. Hate that I lost her. Um, I thought we had a call, but she hung up right before. Jerry, if you're st still there, call back and we'll try to get you. In the meantime, while we're waiting on our first call, let's continue our discussion from last week and the week before about using the Bible as our guidebook and how that we as Christians and churches should use the Bible as our guidebook. And I gave a couple of quotes to demonstrate that many churches are admittedly not using the Bible as their guidebook. For example, the first gay bishop of the Episcopal Church in 2003 said, quote, just simply saying it departs from Scripture does not necessarily make it wrong. Just simply saying it departs from Scripture does not necessarily make it wrong. Well, isn't he admitting then that he's not really going by the Scripture? He says just because the Scripture's uh, say something that necessarily make it wrong. So yeah, he is. He's admitting that going by the Scriptures, that he's not really going by the Scriptures. That just because the Scripture says it uh, says it's wrong, that doesn't make it wrong. So a lot of people think, well, the reason people we have different understandings of the Bible is a matter of interpretation. No, a lot of times it's not a difference in interpretation. A lot of times it's a difference in recognizing the authority of the Scriptures. When somebody says that just because it's a departure from Scripture, that doesn't necessarily make it wrong. That's admitting they don't go by the Scripture. And we have to go by the Scripture to be saved. Jesus said, Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. John 17, 17. 2 John verse 9 says, Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. Now, we can't be saved without God. We can't be saved without the love and mercy of God. So if we don't abide in the doctrine or the teaching of Christ, we don't have God, we can't be saved. George from Alabama, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Hello, sir. Thank you for taking my call. So it's kind of a two-part question. The first is regarding the Antichrist. And we, I think, you know, I've always been led to believe, well, there's going to be one Antichrist, and this Antichrist is going to be an imitator, and he's going to try to, rule the entire world until Almighty God puts them in its place after an X number of years. I don't know if it's three and a half years, but my question to you is, will Christians, do they have to be raptured before that Antichrist comes? Because if they were around, wouldn't there be a lot of opposition to the Antichrist? 
wouldn't Christians recognize that, hey, this is who this guy is, and he's a fraud? Hey, George, if you look up the word, you have a concordance at your house? No, I'm actually driving in the car, so I'll concordance. take the word of Okay, a concordance is where you can look up a word like Antichrist and find every time it's in the Bible, okay? So sure, I sure, simply sure. did that just now on my computer. I ran the concordance, and the word Antichrist is in the New Testament five times, in the whole Bible five times. Now I'm going to sure. start by reading First John chapter 2, verse 18. It says, Little children, it is the last time. Now John is writing this, First John 2, 18. Little children, it is the last time. And ye have heard that Antichrist shall come. Even now are there many antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. So when John was writing, he's saying even at the time he wrote, there were many, many antichrists. Do you see that? And then First yeah. John chapter yes. 2, verse 22 says, Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. And then for Second John chapter 1, verse 7 says, For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. So what we see here, we've looked at four of the places out of the five. The antichrist, many of them existed even back then. And the antichrist was anybody who taught something that opposed Christ and what Christ taught. And so I suppose you could extend that to today. Anybody who teaches against Christ or against what Christ taught, you could say he's anti-Christ, anti-meaning against. But we see from those passages in 1 John that there were many antichrists at that time. Does that make sense, George? Sure, that makes yeah, that makes perfect sense. Now, if we're moving along, is the antichrist also referred to being a single being that's going to rise up and and rule the world because no. he's an imitator. No. no, somebody made that up to sell books. Somebody okay. made okay. up this theory that there's going to be one Antichrist, final Antichrist, that's going to try to rule the world. A guy who's trying to sell him books made that up. You won't find anything like that in the Bible. Now, George, let me move on to your the second part of your question about the rapture. That word rapture is actually a Latin word. It comes from a Latin word. Of course, it's been made into English, but it comes from the Latin word rapture. And it's if you look at a Latin translation of 1 Thessalonians 5.17, you would find the word rapture. Let me read that verse, 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Talking about the second coming of Christ, it says, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. Now that's the word rapture in the Latin. In the Latin version, it would have said raptured. They'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So the rapture, properly explained, is just the fact that when Jesus comes back the second time, the Christians, the faithful Christians who are alive at that time, shall be caught up to meet him in the air. They'll be raptured or caught up. That includes all the Christians who are alive at that time. They'll be caught up or raptured to meet Jesus Christ in the air. The, the important thing to remember, there's a lot of false teachings, George, about the rapture. And people say, at the rapture, then Jesus is going to set up a kingdom and everything. But actually, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10, talking about the second coming, says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. 
the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. So when Jesus comes back and we have the rapture, that's also going to be the end of the world. Everything's going to be burned up. And there won't be any place for Jesus to rule physically on earth because the earth will be gone. Now, I've, I've talked for a long time, George. Do you have any follow-up questions? Yeah, what, what is the reference with taking the mark of the beast and not being able to buy and sell? I'm, and the reason I ask that is we're already headed toward a cashless society, and people are obviously much more comfortable. And you could see all the numerous uses they could use if they could stick something under your hand or on your forehead. So could you reference, could, could you reference that and tell me what you make of that? The, the 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 mark of the beast is in the book of Revelation, of course. And what people Correct. fail to overlook is the very first verse in the book of Revelation. The ver- Revelation one one, George says this: the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. So the word signified means this is going to be in signs or symbols, figurative language. But the key point there I want you to see is that what John was writing about were things that were shortly to come to pass. So when we see the book of Revelation talk about the mark of the beast, first of all, it's figurative, it's a symbol, and it's something that occurred in the first century time frame. It was to come shortly to come to pass at least according according to the book of Revelation. Have you ever noticed Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, George? Well, I've read through it many times. I'd have to look back and reference it. Uh-huh. Hey, don't tell me exactly, but whereabouts you live. I see, it looks like you're, you live maybe in the Birmingham area. Uh, yeah, I do. I live down in Hoover. Yep, and I live in Huntsville. Appreciate your call, George. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. All right, have a, have a good evening. Okay, bye-bye. Jerry from California. Go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Yeah, um, my question is, why do people still want to um, continue to pray for the same thing over and over again? I I try to keep, I I try to just pray for the one thing one time and then give it to the Lord and believe. And instead of saying, praying again for it, I just say, thank you. Thank you, and give me strength to get through it, whatever is going on. You know, if I'm having hard times going through it, I just ask God to just give me strength to get through this and, and you know, teach me all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me by the grace of God, and, and just believe on that. But I see people constantly wanting to pray for the same thing over and over again, and I don't know why. Okay. I appreciate your attitude. You believe that God is going to give you what you ask for. You believe that. But let me, Paul. Uh, no, I don't believe you. that. I don't. I I just believe that He's going to take care of whatever He needs to because He sees that um, He sees my needs. I don't yeah. know what's best for me. He does. That's so I just yeah. go on that. Now, now I, that's what I meant. But I want you to consider oh, a couple of places in Luke 11 and Luke 18. And let's go to Luke 11. In the first part of Luke 11, like verses 1 through, say, 4, it's a recording of what we call the Lord's Prayer. It's where Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray, and he gives them an example. But then Mm -hmm. he's he's talking about prayer, and in verse Mm -hmm. 5 he says, And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend Mm -hmm. of mine in his journey is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. 
And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say mm-hmm. unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity. That's the old King James way. Let me tell you what that means, since it's an old King James word. It means persistence and solicitation. You can look that up on dictionary.com. Importunity, meaning persistence in solicitation. So it says, yet because of his importunity, so persistence in in solicitation, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, ask and it shall be given you, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened to you. So the Mm -hmm. point of that, Jerry, is that Jesus in teaching his disciples how to pray gives this little story of a person who asks somebody for something, in this case three loaves. And at first the guy turns him down. He won't give him the three loaves, but he finally does because the person is persistent in asking, in their solicitation. So the lesson that Jesus is teaching there is that we should be persistent in asking for something. So there's nothing wrong about asking for something twice. Actually, this passage here that Jesus gives us encourages us to ask when we need want to ask for something that's legitimate, that we need. Ask for it again. Be persistent that God might, God will reward you for your persistence. He wants you to ask mm. for it more than once. That's in Luke 11. I would re- get you to try to read verses 5 through 13, and you'll see that, Jerry. Okay. Okay? I appreciate your call okay. so much. Do you have any follow-ups? No, I'm good. Thank you so much. Thank you. God bless thank you, guys. You, and thank you for okay. answering with me. Okay, bye. Okay. Bye. Tammy from Indiana, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Hi. Um, okay, so here's my story. I have been in a very dysfunctional family, much dysfunction, um, a bad marriage for, like, I just got out of a, a bad marriage about 10 years ago, something like that. But 15 years ago, I started out on a quest for truth. And now that I've got all the dysfunction out, where do I begin trying to understand God's Word? You've had a dysfunctional family. You've worked on that. You've got the dysfunction out of your family. How do you begin on trying to understand God's Word? Right, because I've always wanted better for myself. So Okay. Well, you know, there's a lot I could places I could turn to, but the first thing that comes to mind, you, you can't turn in your Bible right now to Ephesians chapter 3, can you? Um, not by memory. Okay, but you're not... Well, if you had your Bible, let me just read it to you. Okay. Paul is speaking here in Ephesians 3, and he explains, I think, in a a really good way how revelation works and how we understand God's will. It says, How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote in afore in few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. So, what he's saying here, and this is the way that God's revelation works. It worked this way in the Old Testament. It worked this way in the New Testament. God doesn't just reveal to you and me His His will. He revealed to through His representatives, prophets, Old Testament prophets, New Testament right. prophets, and Paul was one of them. It says that God revealed to him what he was supposed to write down. He wrote it down the words. And that we're supposed to read the words, what Paul wrote, and wrote. Paul wrote basically 
basically half of the New Testament books. We read and study what he wrote, and then we'll understand it. So, Tammy, to start with, the way you understand God's will, where you would start is by reading and studying the Bible, because that's how God is going to reveal to you what he wants you to do. He doesn't do it directly. He reveals it through the Bible. We talk to God through prayer. He talks to us through the Bible. And that way we all have the same standard, the same place to turn to. Does that make sense, Tammy? Yes, and, and here's the picture. I've got multiple sclerosis, so I'm having a lot of cognitive issues. I don't always understand what I'm reading. Uh-huh. Um, any well, help How about this? There? I've got... I'm going to tell you what I offer on this program quite a bit recently. I offer, uh, you live in Indiana, I live in Alabama. No way I can come study with you face-to-face. But right. what I do is I'm willing to study with people who want to study the Bible uh, for free of charge via the phone. We've got all this technology, let's use it. And so right. these are one-hour one hour phone Bible studies, and we do this free of charge. We just kind of do it whenever it's convenient for you. And right. kind of the way it works usually, if you have email then I send you the outline ahead of time via email so that you can look over the outline as much as you want to before I call. We set up agreed-upon time when it's convenient for you. I call you. We study the Bible for one hour. Try to do that once a week, and it takes time. But over the course of time, we can learn the Bible by studying once a week and you studying on your own at different times and going to church and hearing the Bible there. Over court, gradually, you're going to learn the Bible. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So the way that you... Increase your faith and knowledge is by studying and reading the Word of God. Right. Does that sound like something you might be interested in, the one-hour yes, phone Bible please, study? That'd be, yes, please. That'd be great. Okay, I'll call you back later. Uh, the last four digits of your phone number, 6419? Yes. So I'll call you back later, and we'll set up a time to do our first one-hour phone Bible study, okay? Okay. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Let, hey, Tammy, before you get off there, let me repeat that passage. When you get a chance, go back and read Ephesians 3, 3 through right, 4, because that, explain, that explains how the process works. God reveals to him, to God reveals his word, the words, his revelation through the apostles and New Testament prophets. And then they write it down, and then we're able to read and study what they wrote down. That would be the 27 books of the New Testament. We're studying the Old Testament. It was done the same way. He revealed that through the Old Testament prophets. We read and study that, and then we know how to please God. We don't, we don't study the Bible just for an academic exercise, but we want to know how to please God, and he tells right. us in the Bible how to please him, okay? Right, right. That sounds great. I'll call you later, Tammy. Are you on Eastern Time Zone or Central? Um, I don't know. It's 9.30 here, almost 9.30. Yeah, so you're on Eastern. I'll try to call you pretty soon before you go to bed, okay? Okay, thank you very much. You have a good evening, Tammy. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. So we're talking about, well, just let me mention the number to call. The number to call if you have a Bible question or comment, and we've got about five minutes left, is 877-655-6755. 877-655-6755 if you have a Bible question or comment. We're talking about using the Bible as their guidebook. Let me read you this quote from a lady named Catherine Shorey, who's the head of the Episcopal Church, USA. She was asked by Time Magazine, is belief in Jesus the only way to get to heaven? And here's what her response was. And this is the head of the Episcopal Church. She said, 
To assume that God could not act in other ways is, I think, to put God in an awfully small box. So the question was, is Jesus the only way to heaven? And she said, no, that's not the only way to heaven. If we believed that was the only way to heaven, that would be putting God in an awfully small box. But we know what the Bible says on this about is Jesus the only way to heaven. John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And then Jesus said in John 8, 24, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins, for if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Now let me ask this question. Jesus says in these two verses, and it's many other times in the Bible, that you have to believe in Jesus to be saved. I mean, the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16, teaches that. For whosoever believeth in Jesus shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Dozens of passages, more than that, teach that you have to believe in Jesus to go to heaven, to be saved. He's the only way. But the head of the Episcopal Church says that's not the only way. Now let me ask you this question. Is the head of the Episcopal Church using the Bible as her guidebook? Well, obviously she's not. So the Episcopal Church is not using the Bible as their guidebook. Now, it should be obvious that we should use the Bible as our guidebook. I mean, we read a week or two ago, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, which says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So the scriptures are inspired by God. That doesn't mean they're just fired up like a football team is inspired. This means that God actually told these Old Testament and New Testament prophets the words to write. They were inspired. And they're profitable. The scriptures are profitable for doctrine, for instruction in righteousness. So when we're talking about doctrinal issues like women preachers, gay marriage, baptism, the way to find out the right doctrine is to go to the scriptures. We ought to use the scriptures as our guidebook, but we can tell that the Episcopal Church is not using the Bible as their guidebook because the head of the Episcopal Church says you don't have to believe in Jesus to be saved, and Jesus says many times that you do. The scriptures say many times that you do. We have to use the Bible as our guidebook. Angel from Texas, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. It's more of a comment. Um, like I was explaining to your associate, you know, I'm a very young police officer uh, here in Texas. It's going to come up to five years. I'm a third generation police officer. Uh huh. God, God has blessed me in many ways. And my career in finance, you know, he's got me out of, you know, the lion's mouth. You know, that's the best way I can describe it. And I do things that, well, I, I don't want to say I'm a little embarrassed, but um, I end up sinning in certain ways. Um, and, I, you know, I do not deserve what God has given me, you know, whether it's finance, my blessings mm -hmm. towards my family and me my blessing mm -hmm. towards my career and you know i pray about it i feel awful about it you know i don't know how to stop you know and i go to prayer and then i find myself you know continuing to you know sin you know i go three four days 
you know, um, and then and then there it goes, and 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 I ne- I don't necessarily know what to do, you know, and uh huh. Well, Angel, and, um, let me read a couple of passages for you. First of all, when a person becomes a Christian, Peter's talking about becoming a Christian. He says, "Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins." So, repentance and baptism is necessary for the remission of sins. For a Christian, 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive them. So, angel, God will forgive you of your sins if you're willing to repent. But you're saying you're having a awful hard time quitting sinning, and that's going to, you have to study the Bible. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. you got to study the Bible to, to do that. I'm going to have to go off the air, but maybe I can call you after the program is over. If you hang on, angel, I'll get with you later. But let me mention okay. before we go off the air, if you would like that one-hour phone Bible study that I mentioned before, text or call me at 256-682-9753. I'll call you and do a free one-hour phone Bible study. 